Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. In this episode, we'll discuss Chicago's new dominance in the craft beer world. Ohio throws out the welcome mat to a famous southern brewery. Founders and Avery have become such BFS, and I figure out why that's so. And Hopcat is off the crack pipe. All on this December 24th, 2018 episode, episode number four of Alpha Acid Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Alpha Acid Radio. I am your host, Mr. Liquid Bread. This is part B of my end of 2018 episode, last episode. I want to apologize right off the bat because that episode went way, way too long. 45 minutes is way too long for you guys to sit through a podcast. I think I was trying to jam in as many big, big beers that you could find and that were being released into your uh, arsenal of... of beer shopping to prepare you for the holidays, and I probably did, overdid it, so I apologize. This episode hopefully will be much, much shorter. So if you listen to my episode three, you notice that I alluded that this episode B, or episode number four, will be entirely made of the news, mostly from the end of the year news, but there's some other news that are just trickling in towards the end of, of the season here. So let's jump in. So starting off with the first story is uh, an article by Thrillist.com. They typically come out with these rankings of beers, food and drinks, stuff like that. I'm not sure if they come out with the state rankings like this this article is, but this is the title of this article is All 50 States Ranked by Their Beer. And yes, folks, they go through all 50 states on this. I will not go through all 50. I'm trying to keep this short a little bit shorter than the last episode. But their criteria is as follows. Quantity and quality are both important, but quality's a bit more important. If you're a small state turning out a disproportionate amount of great beer, it did not go unrecognized. They also go on to say, we also gave a boost to a state who played a historical role in American beer as we know it today. We also argued a lot and encourage you to do the same in the comments. So you can go to Thrillist.com and search for all 50 states ranked by their beer, and you should be able to find this article. I'm going to hit off the bottom right off the bat just to hit the bottom ones. We'll hit the bottom five. That starts off with number 46. Number 46 is Nevada. Obviously, booze is a big business in Nevada with all the gambling that's going on there. But I know once before I tried to look for breweries in Vegas. Uh, somebody I knew was was traveling to Vegas and I uh, wanted to find some breweries there and just really had a difficult time trying to find uh, any breweries listed at all. So it's not a big surprise that Nevada is bringing up the, the tail end of this caboose. Next is Kansas. I think Kansas fell down to the bottom of this ranking or closer to the bottom because of their loss of Tallgrass Brewing Company. Those of you that aren't aware, Tallgrass Brewing Company uh, brewed beers such as 8-Bit and Buffalo Sweat. They closed their doors at the end of August this year. So they are no longer. So there's not a lot of big-name breweries in Kansas anymore. Uh, Thrillist lists out Free State. Uh, and as well as Defiance are both uh, bringing up, uh, taking on the baton and trying to revive the Kansas brewing scene. Number 48 is North Dakota. There's not much to say about this state. They've, uh, there's Fargo Brewing Company is pretty much their best known brewery. 
49 is West Virginia. Again, not very there's not very well-known breweries in that state at all. Thrillist lives lists Bridge Brew, Weathered Ground, and Short Story as as up-and-coming breweries out of that state, but that's about it. I've never heard of any of those. And the last one, number 50 on this list, is Mississippi. What I did not know out of Mississippi and what has probably prolonged their uh, the craft beer industry from growing there is Mississippi only legalized homebrewing in, in 2013. So there's only been a good five years of uh, homebrewing growth in that state. So the flood of craft breweries that will grow from that legalization, what is 30 years from now? <laughs> I don't know if it'll take that long because obviously, you know, homebrewing was legalized in the United States in general, I think in 1970, it was by uh, President Carter. Now, I don't know if all 50 states, obviously Mississippi and all the other 49 states accepted that legalization, but it took this long before homebrewing really took effect. I mean, we have the big influx of breweries in the 1980s, mid 1980s. So it, it at least was a decade away before there was a big influx nationwide. So maybe Mississippi is, we're about a, a, maybe a decade, maybe a little bit less with the surrounding areas being influencing them, the surrounding states. So I would think that their home, their craft beer industry should blossom here in the, uh, within the next five to seven years. So as I climb up the ladder here to the top 10, I stumble across one here in the top 20. And it's kind of surprising. Actually, it's not surprising for me, I would say, uh, other than maybe they're, they're, it might be surprising to you, and it may, they may not have the numbers of some of these other states. And that is Alaska. So you would think, oh, it's Alaska. They've got Alaska Brewing Company. Well, yeah, I mean, Alaska Brewing Company does make a lot of beer, and they've got a big distribution footprint. But Alaska Brewing Company, to me, is more of a, a brewery that's making a product for people that have just gotten into the craft beer scene uh, maybe just beyond having their gateway gateway craft beers, but they're they're not all that impressive. They're good beers, don't get me wrong, but I don't think there's anything that just blows your socks off. However, the brewery I think that is way underappreciated in Alaska is Anchorage Brewing Company. They are known to be collaborators with other breweries. I know they've done at least a couple beers now with Jolly Pumpkin. They also are the masters of funk. They are the George Clinton of craft beer. They make, I don't know if all their beers are, are like this, but I would say the vast majority, 90% of their beers are made with Britannomyces. And I'll tell you what, they do some amazing things with that. They, they take a Britannomyces yeast and infuse it with a beautiful flavored IPA, and you just get this funk and hoppiness that is just, it just, it dances on your palate. On to the top 10. Number 10, we've got North Kekalaki. No surprise there with the uh, Asheville beer, beer scene. Um, I actually expected North Kekalaki to be a little bit higher. Number nine is Maine. Low populace, lots of beer out there. Illinois. Illinois is making a huge surge with the Chicagoland beer scene, and we will talk about more about that in, in a news story here shortly. Number seven is Washington. That is surprising that they're down that low. Usually Washington with the Seattle beer scene is up a little bit higher. Number six is Massachusetts. 
And let's get into the top five. Number five is Vermont. No shocker there with Alchemist being in Vermont. They are the brewery that brought the New England IPA to the forefront. It took a while for the rest of the nation to buy into it, but Hetty Topper is by far the granddaddy of any NEIPAs. Number four is my home state of Michigan, which is a big surprise that they're up this high. Uh, most of the breweries... In the state of Michigan, a lot of people haven't heard of, but the ones you have are such as Founders, Bells, Greenbush, Shorts, Arcadia, Dark Horse, Jolly Pumpkin, Old Nation, and Brewery Vivant. All those big hitters, and then we have a ton of smaller breweries scattered throughout the state, as well as the Upper Peninsula that has really brought the craft beer scene to the forefront in Michigan. With that being said, the last three aren't any surprise. We've got Colorado coming in at number three with the with the whole uh, Fort Collins beer scene, Boulder beer scene, and Denver beer scene. They've just got a trifecta of beer coming out their ears. Breweries such as Oscar Blue, Ska, Crooked Stave, New Belgium, Odell, and Avery. Big, big hitters in that state. Number two, Oregon. I talked about Oregon beers like crazy in the last episode and the releases they were coming out with. Portland beer scene still thriving strong after all these years. And number one, no shocker, big at big beer state, mostly in the southwest uh, portion of the state, and that is California. California. San Diego, Los Angeles is even coming on more in the whole Sonoma County. There, there's no argument there. You could, you could put any of these top four states in any order for the most part. And and argue that they should be number one. It's 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 an argument you could have all night with any of your friends. So good good overall list from the Thrillist. With that being said, let's segue right into a Colorado story that's been making the news all month, and I've yet to talk about it. And that is the new law in Colorado that will now allow now allow grocery stores to sell full strength beer rather than just the near beer, three point two percent beer. I can't say that I've ever gone to Colorado and bought beer in a store, but apparently prior to the end of this year, the only way you could get beer, full strength beer, was to go to a liquor store. Breweries had to make lower alcohol beer just for the grocery stores to sell and then a stronger version for the liquor stores. That is all going away as of January 1st or January 2nd because it's first obviously holiday. And you will now be able to buy beer in grocery stores that is full strength. That is amazing. And that is finally get your head out of your butt, Colorado. And as I'm scrolling down this article, I just realized something. Full strength beer in grocery stores will actually go on sale at 8 a.m. New Year's Day. So any of you that are straggling around in Colorado, New Year's Day, and you need to clear up that hangover just a little bit. Walk in any grocery store and you'll be able to buy a full strength Avery tweak to help you sober up from the night before. So that law, the 3.2% beer, was a relic that actually started right after the end of Prohibition. So it's an 85-year-old law that the state of Colorado deemed up until this year as appropriate for today's age. That's crazy. In the same state that legalized marijuana, no, no less. <laughs> this just makes you wonder and go, what in the hell are they thinking? Let's legalize marijuana first. Then we'll come back and raise beer sales and, gro and grocery stores, no less. Not just liquor stores. Grocery stores 
to a normal limit. That's crazy, people. In other grocery store-related news, big box brand Costco has pulled their branded Kirkland Signature Light Beer from their shelves. They haven't announced this officially, but some say it's due to the fact of their poor ratings on most beer sites, like Untapped, Rate Beer, Beer Advocate, as well as this California native, Randy Kolpeck, who did a rejected catchphrases or marketing uh, terms of Kirkland by as he busted through a wall of Kirkland boxes. If you go to YouTube and search for Kirkland Light Commercial Outtakes, the number one, or should be the number one result, should be Randy Kolpeck Kirkland Light out, Commercial Outtakes. It's a three-minute video of him just busting through this wall of of Kirkland Light boxes, and it's, it's actually kind of funny. There's a couple of them that are kind of funny. Kirkland Light. It's 11 a.m. somewhere. Kirkland Light, available in 48 packs where you buy your pants. Kirkland Light, it's got 30% less calories so you can drink twice as much. Kirkland Light, don't drink water, fish piss in it. There's no word on whether or not Costco is officially, again, officially pulling this from the stores, but the rating on this beer's rating on rate beer and beer advocate are 1.97 to 2.51 respectively. And as well as on tapped, it's got a over average rating of 2.05. So if you're a big fan of Kirkland light for those lawnmower days, move on to something that's got some more flavor. People don't be drinking that crap. If you're listening in the Ohio market, the holding company named can Arky who is the holding company for the breweries Oscar Blues, Perrin, Squatters, Wasatch, and Cigar City, will now be releasing Cigar City beers in the Ohio market. As of next month, in the Ohio market, you'll, st- you'll be able to start finding cans of Highly and their, I can't pronounce this thing, Gayabera Citra Pale Ale, both in kegs and 12-ounce cans. Additionally, Maduro Brown Ale and Florida Cracker, Belgian-style white, will enter the market as draft-exclusively releases. Those are primarily going to be in the bigger markets of Columbus, Cleveland, and as well as Toledo. So you want to keep your eyes out for those, those beers. I would also expect, if you're going to start seeing cans of uh, Cigar City, that soon to follow will be the other beers from that holding company, which is probably the most, if it's not already there, already but Perrin Brewing Company out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, as well as Oscar Blues out of uh Durango, I believe, Colorado. So this next story kinda it kinda hits hits me in the heart because I really I really do not like when certain things are over politicized or over broadcasted in the media. People are being overly sensitive about terms or words. And in this case it's it's the term crack. You know, nowadays, yes, crack is a problem. It was a big problem in obviously the 80s. But I think it's become a phrase that is common in the English language, a phrase that could be could be added to the dictionary as a descriptor of something. It's not necessarily a a homage or a a a, a direct derogatory comment that someone is on crack. You know, that that's a different meaning. But when somebody says something like, "Hey, this is this is like crack." They just mean it's addictive because crack was so addictive back in the day. 
I don't under I, I I think that terms words can be bad, but over the course of many years, decades, if you will, the word can metamorphosize into a meaning that doesn't mean the same that it was originated from. And in this case, it's just a descriptor of something that it's very addictive. Another word, you know, a, a synonym. So Hopcat, a big, big craft beer bar that originated in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and now can be found in cities such as Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Lexington, Lincoln, Louisville, Madison, Minneapolis, and uh, St. Louis, among many other one locations here in the state of Michigan, started their door open. They opened their doors 11 years ago with a menu item called Crack Fries. It was named that because it was an addictive fry. It was so good you couldn't stop eating them. It was addictive. Addictive fries just doesn't rattle off the tongue. But another word, a synonym for addictive, would be crack. It just that's how the world evolves. Our English language evolves into new word. You know, words. Remember when dope was cool? Oh, that's dope. Were we talking about drugs? No, but that's where that word originated from. It then turned into dope being cool. Lit. Lit's the new cool word now. Oh, that's lit. Is it on fire? No, it's it's cool. It's badass. And that's just how the English language works. And when people get a bug up their butt, like in this case, with crack fries being derogatory towards the drug epidemic. Okay, I'm not I'm not ignoring that the drug epidemic isn't still there. It's crack still there until crack gets eliminated totally 100% across the United States and the entire world for that matter. It's going to be an issue. It's not going to go away. I don't know of any drugs that have gone away. Anyways, they are changing Hopcat will be changing the name of their crack fries after 11 years prompting criticism about political correctness. They've been uh, Hopcat has been accused of bending to political correctness or staging a publicity stunt. But the, the Hopcat spokesman, Chris Nape, said the name change is simply the right thing to do. It is not. You're a beer bar. You're not a church. Who cares? Do you, are you telling me that the beers that are sitting on your shelf and the beers that you have on tap, there aren't some that aren't just as offensive, not worse? Mark Gray, chief executive officer for Barfly Ventures, which is the corporate parent of Hopcat, released a statement saying, the drug crack has devastated many of the communities that we serve. Well, you know what? So is alcoholism. Yet you serve alcohol. Don't go and eat the crack fries if, you've got, if you're offended by the cr- word crack. Stupid political correctness crap. Sorry, folks. I'll get off my soapbox. All right, BFFs. Let's talk about some BFFs. So I just read an article where Avery's going to start moving some of their beers uh, to 16-ounce cans. They, uh, the consensus was that their, the 16-ounce can is just a little bit more sexy. It's a little bit more appealing than a 12-ounce can. I don't know if I agree with that at all. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. But the base of the story, as I'm reading through this, is they mention founders. And that founders, obviously, I mentioned this in uh, episode two, founders brewing company will be canning using Avery's brewing facility to brew and can their all-day IPA. And I attributed that to them wanting to get a bigger uh, distribution footprint out to the West Coast. It's a good starting point to get all-day IPA out to the West Coast. However, what I did not know is that S- Spain's Mahu San Miguel, 
not only owns 30%, I knew they owned 30% of founders, but they also last year bought 30% of the stake in Avery. So that same mothership brewing company out of Spain is kind of got makes sense why they're bolt why now they're why founders is now brewing beer at Avery because the mothership is overseeing this or or has the umbrella over this. And I shouldn't say the mothership. They only own 30% of each of those breweries. But nonetheless, they're under kind of the same umbrella, Avery and Founders. So that is why, to go back two episodes ago, that's why Founders picked Avery to brew the, or increase production and brew all-day IPA uh, in Colorado. Yeah, they still may be trying to get a good foothold on distribution starting point from Colorado westward. But it makes more sense now that we know that um, San Miguel is is owned by both or has a 30% stake in both of these companies. So that that's interesting. I don't know if, if anyone else is like me that the uh, acquisition of 30% of Avery by San Miguel was uh, was took place last year. I did not see that and didn't even know it happened. So they Avery now falls in the same bucket as founders and that they're not considered a craft brewery. Uh, be, um, by the Brewers Association because more than, I don't know what the rule is, but more than, if more than so many percentage uh, of the company is owned by another entity, you're not considered a craft brewery. So I don't know about you, but I'll, I'm going to keep drinking Founders and Avery all day. No pun intended. This is another uh, list. This next story is another list from the manual.com. And it's the 10 most important craft beers in American history. And I thought it was kind of cool. I could probably rattle off some of these in my head. If, if you sat somebody down uh, and asked them, what do you think the 10 most influential beers uh, in American history, craft beers in American history were? What, what do you think they would be? And I would probably go Anchor Steam. I'd maybe go Yingling. Oh, I don't know. Beyond that, I'm, I'm, maybe Sierra Nevadas could be thrown in there, one of their beers or breweries. Um, so these are more geared towards the, the beer or the brewery, I guess. And I'll rattle through these, but right off the bat, Anchor Steam was on this list established in 1896, old, old school brewery. Obviously Fritz Maytag started this up back in the day. And, and those of you that never had Anchor Steam, they are more malt forward than anything. Sierra Nevada, just like I said, they're pale ale. Uh, Sierra Nevada's pale ale has been around forever and Sierra Nevada has always kind of been a staple, uh, in the craft beer market for as long as I can remember. There's one I forgot. Sam Adams, Boston lager, another great story with Jim cook traveling around, trying to get his beer in beer stores around the Boston market in the mid 1980s. Now this one, I'm not quite sure about cause it's owned by, uh, AB InBev. Molson Coors conglomerate, all the one big, big company that they are now. And that's Blue Moon. So I would argue that, yeah, maybe Blue Moon could be on here. On one side of the fence, I could say that, yeah, they should be on here because they were the first mainstream craft beer that everyone kind of was um, introduced to before craft beer became so big. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's AB and Bev Miller Coors, man. You don't want to, you don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. So I'd kick him to the side. Now, as soon as I say that, what's the next beer we got here? Bourbon County Brand Stout by Goose Island. Yes, they are owned by the same damn company as Blue Moon. But 
They are Bourbon County. They showed us how to bourbon barrel age a beer and to do it right. And they still make a damn good beer, even though they are pasteurizing the crap out of it now. Next on the list is La Foley by New Belgium Brewing Company. Great, great beer. I can see why they're on there. They're changing the way beers are being brewed instead of with the traditional ingredients with hops, yeast, malt. Boom. Hey, we're going to throw some, you know, some, some bacteria in this thing and would age our beers on top of that. They've been around forever in terms of wood aging beers and they are well deserved to be on this list. Next on the list, I wouldn't necessarily this beer should be on the list, but the brewery should be for for obvious reasons, and that is Dogfish Head Brewing Company's Worldwide Stout. Now, again, Worldwide Stout and their 120-minute IPA could arguably be on, either one could be on this list. They're both pushing the boundaries of ABV in a beer that's released on a regular basis, not some like marketing ploy where they get it up to a 40% and, and uh, freeze off the water to make the alcohol content higher. This is an actual beer they brewed and put a lot of quality ingredients into and a lot of time and work into this. And same with the 120 minute. Both these beers are pushing the 20% uh, ABV limit and Dogfish Head has always pushed the limit in terms of ingredients and bringing people up to speed on you know what can what can beer bring to the table and what can you do with beer other than having a beer on your in your glass that tastes like Budweiser. Next on this list, I don't really think should be on this list. They're a great brewery, but I don't think they were ones that changed the U.S. And that is Lagunitas, specifically Lagunitas IPA. Um, maybe it changed California, but you know, being a little more hop forward. But this list is the 10 most important craft beers in American history. And I, I would argue that that one should not be on here. It's, I don't think it really changed anything about the American history at all. Um, you know, they, you're talking about West Coast IPAs. And I don't know. I, I just don't know if that'd be the one that I would, I would put on there. If you, anything, you, you could probably put Pliny the uh, Elder on there. You could probably put uh, maybe Green Flash on there. Or even maybe Ballast Point Sculpin. I just don't know if uh, Lagunita should be on there. But it is what it is. Next up, and I agree with this one wholeheartedly. Uh, actually, these last two for for really intense purposes. The first one is Oscar Blues' Dale's Pale Ale. Now, this isn't a, a, a mind-blower beer, but this beer has been around forever. And the fact that they have been canning this beer since God knows how long, before the before canning got cool... They've been doing it, and Oscar Blues knows how to make uh, some good beers. Their 1050, I've mentioned many times before, is amazing. And the fact that this beer is on here, because this is a, a beer I turned my nose up when I was in my younger craft beer days, thinking this it was in cans and it was probably in garbage, but I know differently now. And the last one is another canned beer that's been around, and I mentioned this in a previous news uh, article today in this episode, and that is Heady Topper by The Alchemist. Hetty Topper is the OG gangster when it comes to New England-style pale ales. Uh, all others can maybe better or worse, but this was the original. Um, but this is definitely one that changed the way we looked at beers and how they should taste, specifically IPAs. Great list. 
Quickly, I just want to mention this because I alluded to it early on in this episode, is that Chicago has taken storm with the, taking the craft brewery uh, in, industry by storm. Um, the Brewing Association came out with a list. I can't find the full list, but uh, previously last year, Seattle was on top for the, the, the city with the most breweries. They have now been surpassed by Denver and Chicago. Chicago now has 167 breweries in its area. Denver's number two at 158. Seattle's number three at 153. San Diego's four, 150. Los Angeles is 146. And New York is 141. Now, granted, with that being said, that is not the most breweries per capita. Uh, Portland still owns that right because they have 139 breweries and only have 1.8 million people, where Chicago has 167 breweries with 8.1 million people. So props, I'm going to give a little golf clap, golf clap, golf clap to Chicago for getting their shit together, getting out from underneath the goose Island thumb and actually blowing the fuck up when it comes to breweries. Cause they are hitting it out of the park. Their beer bars and breweries have exploded in the Chicago market. And it's really great seeing them, you know, climb to the top of the ladder and stand down and look down at all these other big name breweries. I mean, look at they're above Denver, Seattle, and San Diego. So that's pretty impressive that Chicago, who was in the top 10 of that thrillist best beer States yet they're on top of Denver and Seattle and San Diego and Los Angeles, all who were in the top five of that list. So very impressive, very impressive that they're up there and I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them. Finally, the big piece of news is that the uh, Brewers Association has released their 2018 year in beer statistics. And I'll just scroll through these real quick. They announced 5% growth. So it's continued growth in craft beer sales by volume. It'll re- they're releasing, obviously, a new high with that. Economic Im- impact has gone up 9% with f- over 500,000 jobs in the craft beer industry. Up 11% in terms of contribution to the u.s economy with 76.2 billion dollars in this industry so another great increase now that that 11 percent is from over 2016 so that may not be as quite as impressive between that and uh, 2017 and now there are now more than 7,000 breweries that are operating in the united states this year they're on pace for a 20 percent increase over last year of those seven over 7,000 breweries that operate in the united states over 4,000 of those have adopted the independent, independent craft beer seal, which represents more than 85% of the craft beer brewed in the U.S. So that's impressive. According to the Brewers Association, 85% of adults that are 21 and over live within 10 miles of a brewery. So let me think about that. I live within, yeah, I live within about a mile of a brewery. Now, after that, it gets a little sketchy. I think it goes, I'll have to go out to about 20 miles to get to the next one. I don't know where they got this statistic, but they say 95% uh, of the breweries are reinvesting their tax savings from the recalibrated federal excise tax on beer to purchase new equipment, hire new employees, increase employee benefits, and increase charitable contributions. So that's interesting. I don't know if they're, if that's legitimate, a little legitimate stat or not, but... That's really impressive if they're doing all that. They're, they're benef- the community is benefiting from them in the long run for sure. There's a haze craze this year, folks, a haze craze. 
There are 391 beer entries this year that are the most entered category uh, in the 2018 Great American Beer Festival competition was the new Juicy or Hazy IPA. It's big, guys. It's big, and and uh, there are some really good ones out there. And finally, they said there are 1.1 million homebrewers in the nation now. Uh, over 1 million homebrewers produce more than 1.4 billion barrels of beer, equal to 1% of total U.S. beer production. That's impressive, and I applaud all the homebrewers like myself that are out there brewing beer. Keep it up. Keep it up. Okay, this last piece is uh, something I've been trying to keep up with if I see these come across my news desk, and that is uh, job opening. Uh, this one's with Kane Brewing Company out of Ocean, New Jersey. They are looking for a quality lab manager to add to their growing team. This is a full-time position, reports directly to the president. Dude, if you could say you're the quality lab manager for a brewery, that is like the dream job because your job is to make sure the beer tastes good, right? Now, obviously, there's more to it than that, but when you're sitting around drinking with people that you just met and you got to say that you're the quality lab manager for a brewery, Myself, I will get down on a knee and start bowing you because that is an impressive job. Now, now we get into the science stuff of it because they're they're looking for somebody that knows a lot about biology and chemistry. So they're looking to some of the responsibilities are perform daily cell counts of yeast and fermenting wort, perform daily testing of on fermenting and finished beer, perform sterile planting and testing of wort, beer, and yeast samples, harvesting, moving, and pitching yeast. You're basically a yeast man. You are the yeast boy. You are doing a ton of stuff with yeast and making sure that you're you've got, you know, the yeast intact in check to brew some quality beer. Now, there's more more responsibilities than that, but they want someone with a bachelor's degree in chemistry, microbiology, food service, or related field. Two years work experience in a quality control, quality uh, assessment lab for production for a production brewery and a strong work ethic. Yada yada yada. So if you see that out there. T- Hunt around for it for Kane Brewing Company. And uh, if you're interested and you're on the East Coast, hit them up. So it's another wrap on Alpha Acid Radio. I believe this one is going to be considerably shorter than last week. So, again, I will try to keep these closer to the 30-minute mark. I appreciate everyone listening, and I hope everybody had a great holiday week or weeks and got their got their beer on and had some quality beers if you need to get a hold of me again you can tweet me at mr liquid bread or you can shoot me an email at beer at mr thanks again for listening and i'll talk to you guys on the flip side see ya